Today on the Sound Rider Show, we just got back from the Rally in the Gorge, and we'll give you a quick rally recap about what went down in Hood River. Also, one of us has been riding the new electric motorcycle from Harley-Davidson. We'll give you a first-person review of that and fall touring tips. All that and so much more on today's episode of the Sound Rider Show. Support for the Sound Rider Show is provided in part by Cascade Motorcycle Safety. Featuring two ranges located in Anacortes and Bellingham, Cascade Motorcycle Safety offers beginner and intermediate rider courses and is certified to test riders for their motorcycle endorsement. For more information, visit their website at Cascade Motorcycle Safety today. Hi, this is Dimitri from Nelson Rig, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. And now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, Join us for the latest episode of The Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now, here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Motorcycle riders from across the Pacific Northwest and around the world, this is The Sound Rider Show, the September edition where we remember a very fond summer and we look ahead to a very chocked full fall as well. Across from me here, Tom Marin, publisher, founder, all things everything here at Sound Rider. And I, of course, am Derek Roberts, your self appointed editor at large. And uh, what am I this month? I don't know. When are you going to write something again? <laughs> Talk got- about editor at large. You say that every month. I haven't seen an article from you in like a year. Oh, I think it's been a little shorter than that. But hey, maybe this will be the month and we'll make. October, a month to remember, too. Well, September is the month to remember, I suppose. But, I remember uh, one time you, you did an entire adventure issue yeah. in one month. Uh, and I happened to uh, have a few incidents along the way. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah, and, yeah. and I don't think you – well, you did have a job then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. I'm a steady working guy, you know, when I'm not hanging around here at Soundwriter. But, hey, speaking of steady working <laughs> – why don't we transition out of this uh, babble intro into some real hard-hitting stuff here? Because you and I just got back from the rally in the gorge and are kind of unwinded from that. What do you want to talk about there? How do you want to recap? Well, I just want to point out that you are the editor-at-large, and I am the one-handed rally master. There you go. <laughs> but you got through it with one arm. I did. Yeah. I, 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 you know... I put it together with one arm. I, I was making uh, GPS routes with one arm. Sure. I was making a program with one arm. I was doing uh, making maps and all kinds of stuff. And and now my my right shoulder is squawking. Yeah, you are the uh, Jim Abbott of the it, Rally in the Gorge it's for barking. You b- baseball fans out there, we'll see if you get that reference. <laughs> but you know, all in all, we had a great turnout, man. There's some really good things. Let's start off. Maybe the weather and the food were spectacular. We did. We were actually a little bit ahead of last year. We yeah. were just a hair under 200 people this year, so we're 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 moving in the right direction. Um, we did the expenses better this year, so we're actually okay financially. Um, nobody got rich or anything like that. Ah, uh, that's not what I hear about Connie. Still my little labor of love. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, it's worth it, though, because we had a lot of good people involved, volunteer-wise and all that, and we'll get into that in a second. But like you said, attendance was up a little bit from last year, and a lot of smiles out there, man. And, and did you just say we had gorgeous weather? We did. Yeah, yeah, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And that might be why the attendance was up, because I know there's people who wait until that week. Sure, and, to, and to they'll check pay it out. the extra price for the walk up. Yeah, and so uh, well, especially if you're in Portland or something like that, and you figure, hey, I can just bop down I eighty four there if it's looking good. And I think uh, a handful of people did that. I had them mention that to me. Yeah, yeah, uh, we had some fun routes, and uh, fortunately, we had a number of people available since I was not available to do so uh, to pre ride. So a uh, special thanks to Tom Whalen and uh, Mark and Rochelle for doing some of the pre-riding. Yep. Uh, we had another guy from, uh, I think he's from Vancouver, and I just can't remember his name, but he was out working with Tom Whalen. So uh, fortunately, uh, all that went smooth. We had one little hooky-hoo that we fixed on the GPS tracks just before the rally started, so nobody... Nobody got wound up in a, a logging camp, basically. Well, that's not too bad. One for the 10 routes there. And I, I know a lot of people mentioned some of the terrific scenery that they were able to get out and explore. So slam dunk, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, this year, the way we did the fun runs, as we've done uh, once in the past, we did them as selfies. So you just had to go out to the locations uh, anytime during the rally and take your picture. We had the uh, – for the paved riders, we had – a fun run that went to museums, but they were not the popular museums. Right, a little off the grid, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, for the dual sport guys, we had uh, uh, the checkpoints were all fish hatcheries. Which was an interesting take, I thought. What was the general feedback on that, did you feel like? We didn't get a lot of, a lot of people who finished. Okay. So we won't, you know, I, I like change around every year. We'll probably do a uh, 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 an orchestrated fun run again next year where it's going to be on a certain day with certain checkpoints everybody has to go to. Yeah, well, I think uh, the routes themselves, anyway, just looking at them at, on the map, I thought it was a pretty spectacular layout. But it's always tough to kind of gauge what is going to draw, draw people's interest, and you got to experiment. That's yep. just the way it works. Yep, that's what we do. 17 years of experimentation. <laughs> and counting, so 18. But it's like growing wine in Washington State. It you know, only gets Everybody used to make garbage wine here, except the Leonettis. Right, and now... Uh, and now we got some really good wine, and, and we got a really good rally. Yeah, well, maybe we'll see the Leonettis at the rally next year. Hey! Uh, <laughs> speaking of uh, some high-class talent, I know you wanted to give a shout-out to some of the people. You mentioned a few, but who else pitched in this year? Uh, so, yeah, so Mark and Rochelle were just incredibly generous with their time. Um, uh, they arrived early with us and helped us set up our tent site. Vernon helped us set up our tent site. Uh, Paul Taft always working hard at the rally, did a great job. Uh, the Hazels, who run the kitchen during the breakfast hours. We'll talk about the kitchen next. Yep. Uh, Gary and Tegan, who run the kitchen in the evening for the dinners. Um, Connie Adams. Of course, yep. Great job up on the front desk. Yeah, who never leaves the front desk. Uh, CMA, good turnout this year, and uh, everybody... Did a nice job up at the front gate there, and I'm pretty sure everybody got to ride. We're going to make sure they get to ride. We don't want them just, you know, 
covering the gate all the time. That's right. It's a rider's rally. enough of them there where they can rotate out and go and ride. It's a rider's rally for uh, staff, volunteers, and attendees alike. Yeah. So uh, I thought the food went really well. And just before you jump to the food, I think uh, Mr. Paul Teft as well. I don't think you had him on that. I just mentioned Did you get Paul on there too? Okay, because I know he's one of the longest-running volunteers around there. He is since 2004. Um, And Harvey. Harvey yeah, was, of course. Uh, yeah. Made it back. Harvey didn't make it last year, but he was back in action with me doing uh, door prizes. That's right. Uh, nice job from you. Yeah, and uh, I know you raked in a lot of money for the Gorge Kids Fund. Out there shaking it, yeah. We sold yeah. a few extra tickets, which was uh, nice to see. A pretty good turnout from the auction and the door prizes this year. Yeah, we got about two busloads of kids for October. Well, great. For Mary Hill. That's so fantastic. That's be good. Uh, but, anyways, the food. Um, this is our third, no, yeah, it's our third year doing food at the rally, and uh, we really brought it up a notch. Oh, I would say so. Uh, everybody loved the all the breakfast stuff we had, and we had a nice selection of stuff with the breakfast sandwiches and burritos, and then every day we had a special, and um, we were using all organic eggs in the kitchen. Very fancy. So we'd gotten off of the uh, the liquid egg mixture stuff. And then uh, for the burger feed, that went really well. Um, and the, the, some of the specials that we did um, – Okay, so like last year and the year before, we bought these pre-made lasagna things that were frozen. Sure. And you're supposed to throw them in the oven for like four hours. And I said, heck with that. Yeah. And uh, I worked up a lasagna recipe. I didn't really get to test it ahead of time. But uh, it worked out splendid. And uh, Gary put it together. And we had, uh, I guess it was 24 servings of lasagna that we piped out that night it was all gone yeah it was all went fast yeah that's right and then uh the next night saturday night uh the plan was we were gonna roast a pork shoulder in the oven and turns out that the fries had brought a smoker with them so we had a smoker going out in the camping area, and it was getting pellet smoked for nine hours. So I think that's going to become something of a, a rally tradition, I hope, because whenever you're smoking meats, that's a pretty good setup. Well, I could smoke in an oven, too, and I could do it in that kitchen because I have the overhead uh, ventilation. Oh, right, yeah. And so I can do wood chips into tin foil and just soak them up and rotate them out about one, every one or two hours. And I can I can get a nice you know smoke on the meat, and if it, you know if I don't taste any smoke, I'll just rub it down with liquid smoke. There you go, but not too much. You got to be careful with that <laughs> That's stuff. That's right, it's potent. So, and my liquid smoke is organic. How do they do that? <laughs> How does that work exactly? It I guess. means yeah. that the wood didn't have any kind of um, coatings on it. Okay, so no bark. Yeah, well, yeah. got a lot of bite. <laughs> well. Uh, before we uh, transition out of this uh, recap here, we should also give a quick shout-out to some of the donors. We mentioned the door prizes and uh, some of the sponsors and vendors that were down there, too. Yeah, and you know what? I want to thank one more person, Sean Pearl. Oh, yeah, of course. Who came in from Idaho Star and uh, really helped out a lot. And then, uh, in fact, um, you might recall my Honda Element died on Tuesday That's right. of the rally, and uh, it wound up on a tow truck and went to the Dalles and got a new clutch. So uh, Mr. Pearl was uh, 
really my left-hand man, <laughs> driving me around everywhere, going shopping with me, following me around with a shopping cart, following me around with large carts at, at uh, Smart and Final, and uh, couldn't have done it without him, too. Yeah, and then he delivered a nice presentation and won the slow race on his uh, oh, Indian right, FTR did. 1200. Yeah. And he took 10,315 photographs. Wow. Out at the Mary Hill Clinic, I know he took a lot. Well, I took yeah. a lot out there, but he had a lot of uh, on-site stuff that you can see now. So, uh, anyways, that, yeah. that, and, and then what were you going to... Uh, so, he was one of the vendors, but our vendors and sponsors that came yeah, out Yeah, so then too. the Valentine Motor Works guys, yep. they showed up. Uh, you were there with Law Tigers. That's right. We sponsored the stage this year. Rolf was there from Rockstraps. Steady Rolf. Soundwriters was there with their little online store. That's right. <laughs> And I know some of the door prizes, too. Icon gave away quite a bit. Moscow Moto, I think, uh, pitched in a gift certificate. Yeah, and we had gift certificates from uh, Skagit Power Sports, from I-90 Motorsports, from uh, Western Oregon BMW. That's right. And uh, it was all good stuff. Yeah, it was all great. Stuff. That's right. Lots of little door prizes. Rolf gave us a couple sets of rock straps every night to give away. Well, a lot of happy people, a lot of attendance each night for that door prize uh, drawing, and uh, it's good. You know, we're helping people get out there and ride, supporting the community, and it's great that they're paying that forward, these dealers and uh, product providers. So we will be there again next year, August 26th through the 30th. Book your market on your calendar, book your vacation time now. If you want to get a hotel, go ahead and block a hotel now. Uh, and uh, make sure you bring, like, five of your best buddies with you. That's right, and make sure that they bring five of their best buddies. Yeah. There you go. A little Rally in the Gorge pyramid action. All right, so moving on from the Rally in the Gorge, uh, you went to the FMX Live event at Northwest Harley. Let's yeah, hear about that. man. So I was down at Northwest Harley, as you said, and I thought this was a pretty interesting pairing, and uh, shout-out to the, uh, the marketing director down there, Kyler, for bringing this in, but... They were doing freestyle motocross in the parking lot of the Harley-Davidson dealership. Have you ever seen anything like this before? Well, not in a parking lot. I've seen it out in the desert before. Yeah, well, I thought it was pretty cool that they did kind of uh, this crossover because obviously this isn't what you would think of maybe as your typical demographic reach. But they were out there, these guys, Jet City FM, uh, FMX, they're based here in Seattle and then uh, they go out with the Nitro Circus? That's right. Robert uh-huh. Haslam is the guy who organizes it, and he's got his friends out there. And they were out there hitting the jumps, doing backflips on their dirt bikes. And, uh, now, did they the set side. the ramp up so they could fly over I-5 and land in the Cabela's parking lot on the other side? You know, I think you got to pay a little bit extra for that. So I didn't, Probably got to uh, get some permits. Yeah, I didn't see any of that. But, hey, maybe next year we can get Sound Rider down there, and they can help uh, facilitate that over oh, I-5. Yeah. <laughs> But I thought it was really cool, and I tell you, it's always impressive to see the way that the different ways that motorcycles can be handled. You know, I'm always impressed watching some of these dual sport guys and the big GS 1200s go through the single track, and on the same token, watching these guys backflip 300 pound motorcycles is pretty cool. Yeah, and you know, anytime you get in a situation where it's that acrobatic stuff with the bikes, uh, make sure you pull your phone out and start taking pictures. It's, it's so fun to look back at photographs of upside down motorcycles in the air. Well, I'll tell you, the one thing that I really got a kick out of was doing the slow mo video on the iPhone. Oh, yeah. yeah. And watching those guys one after another uh, hit that ramp and go into backflips and tail whips <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. It's it's pretty cool. I mean, hey, they're they're at least they got to be at least 50 or 60 feet off the ground when they take off in Apex. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it was it was pretty cool down there anyway. Um, but yeah, so we'll see if they'll come back next year, and I'm going to keep an eye on those guys because, like I said, they're based here in Washington. So nice to have them out of the Pacific Northwest. So I heard that you uh, have now ridden the uh, world's newest electric motorcycle. Indeed, I have. So yeah, speaking of Harley Davidson, and Northwest Harley will be one of the first dealers to carry them here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the Harley Davidson Livewire was at the Wick Coffee Shop slash the Moto Shed right here in Seattle, and I actually took it for two test rides oh yeah too. so tell me this have you ever ridden an electric motorcycle have you had the yes. chance to do that yeah yeah you, you ride one of the zeros uh no i rode one of the very first ones out of ashland oregon which eventually went to polaris oh yeah was it the uh, impulse yeah okay yeah and what was your take when you rode the impulse well i didn't get to ride the impulse i got to ride its smaller brother i just can't remember the name of the company now off the top of my head okay um, and I, frankly, it, it wasn't really that well built up. A little underwhelming. You know, the suspension in that. was sort of cheap. Well, this must have been at least seven or eight years ago at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it was. I believe it was 2010. And uh, um, I, I, you know, I took it out and. I was terrified it, it was going to run out of juice while I was out there. <laughs> so yeah. I asked the guy, you know, should I turn it around? When it's at half level, or should I come back a little sooner? And he says, yeah, I think that'd be a good idea. Yeah, probably a good idea. (laughs) Well, as you can attest to, then, uh, the technology as far as electric vehicles has really come quite a ways, especially in the last 10 years. And I don't know if you remember or not, but they first announced this live wire over four years ago. They were running demos on the the very early models, not demos at dealers or anything, but – uh, some of the magazines were able to ride them and that kind of thing. No, they actually did have. Uh, uh, they brought them around a couple of dealers. Did it they? Uh, Eastside Harley Davidson had one for an afternoon. Oh, no kidding. Mm-hmm. So back in those days, though, the range was like 70 miles. Yeah. That was like the top range. And now they're saying it's more like 150 miles. So you double the range there. And I got to tell you, I thought it was great. It mm. was a really cool motorcycle. I mean, zero to 60 in three seconds. Uh, felt like a motorcycle, looked like a motorcycle. When you dropped the throttle off, did you feel any sort of compression going on? There's a little bit because they're doing a little bit of battery recharge on it. Uh-huh. But it's nothing that is – I mean you slow down at a what I would consider to be an adequate pace, but it's nothing that's So you got to use the brakes a lot. Yeah, well, not a lot even, but you do want to definitely use the brakes. It's a 550-pound motorcycle still, yeah. Yeah. but it's very, very nimble, very light. Um, and awesome styling, man. They look even better in person. I got to tell you, I was really impressed. And there weren't a ton of people out there. So like I said, I had the chance to ride it twice. Oh, okay. But the rumors I'm hearing is that Eastside Harley is uh, actually, if not the top in the nation, one of the top in the nation for pre-sales. Okay. Yeah. So I thought that that was interesting. Well, that would make sense because uh, you got a lot of collectors who have or do work for Microsoft. Yes, absolutely, but I thought it was pretty cool to see that, A, the Pacific Northwest maybe being sort of the the hotbed for electric motorcycle development. I thought that that was very cool, and I also thought that it was telling that this was the same weekend, the second weekend, as Sturgis. Oh, yeah. And they didn't bring it out to Sturgis. Interesting. Yeah. So, well, because they're trying to hit a different demographic. Well, that's exactly it. But yeah. while everything was going on at Sturgis, 
they went and they brought it up here to Seattle to the WIC nonetheless. Um, I thought it was a pretty savvy move, and I'm interested to see how the next couple of years go as far as development and market penetration go for the LiveWire. I know. I wonder if this is going to be like the Honda Rune. They're going to have it for two years, and it's going to go away, or if they're really committed to you know, the long run on this. Well, so I think that they're committed, and I think part of that reason is I think the Charger installs, I think, are about twenty five grand, 25 to 40 grand a pop. Ooh. So I'm thinking that the investment here is they're looking long term. And I think the pre-sale numbers are actually pretty decent despite people scoffing at the initial price. I think they're going to move uh, an okay. adequate number of units. Now, did I hear that you can get all the adapters so that you can pull into a Tesla station and, and charge up there? So I don't know the answer to that. I did mention briefly to somebody on site about the uh, if they if you could use a Tesla charger and they did say that the Tesla, like the head on the charger, was proprietary. But we didn't really get into the specifics of whether or not you could swap out and uh, you know charge it like you would at your local mall with an accelerated charging station or if you yeah. have to bring it back and go into a wall outlet. Yeah, because you know with a bike of 540 pounds, and then you probably need to have a box on there that has all the adapters so you can use it at all the different charging stations. Now it's 640 pounds. Yeah, but you know, I mean, the reality <laughs> is, for me anyway, this is not this is not a primary motorcycle, and I know that there's probably going to be some talk of it being like a commuter motorcycle and that, but I don't see it that way either. I see this as a second or a third motorcycle, something that is purely pleasure-based you might go out on a sunday and like if you're here in seattle ride at 30 miles north for breakfast maybe find a back road a little loop to take but i don't foresee it being a uh, a practical motorcycle as practical as they can be at least in this iteration i'm with you yeah i'm with you no, that's all my right two cents. hey let's uh let's take a little break here and when we come back we'll do some news bites support for the sound Riders show is provided in part by Valentine Motorworks, Seattle's independent service shop specializing in BMW motorcycles and beyond. Call or visit them to discuss your next service or restoration project soon. Find them online at valentinemotorworks.com. Yeah, my name is Bill Spencer. I live in Corbett, Oregon, and uh, been in the Northwest all my life. Born in Seattle, and now I live in Oregon, and... uh, one of my favorite places to ride since I was uh, riding motorcycles has been the Gifford Pinchot National Forest and on the trails as a dirt bike rider and also as a dual sport rider all over the Gifford Pinchot National Forest. Nowadays I get to visit more of the southern part of it because I live in Oregon, but uh, it never gets boring to me and, and to visit the, see the volcano and it's never, never dull, never boring, always different. And just a great place to ride. Hey guys, this is Dad Louie from Pacific Riding School from Surrey, British Columbia, and you're listening to the Sound Rider Show. We are back on the Soundwriter Show. It's a September edition. Suck up all that good weather while you can. But uh, right now we're going to talk about some of the news bites that are going on. I'm hoping for two solid months of good weather. September all the way through October. What do you think? 
I I would love to see that happen. Yeah, that would be the good thing. Yep. And, you know, as we start to dip into fall temperatures, you might be looking for some extra layers. But, Tom, have you ever thought about an airbag vest? Would that ever uh, strike your fancy as maybe an extra layer to wear? Well, it wouldn't hurt. You know, I think that's the purpose, yeah. When you come off a bike. Hurt. Yeah. I know the, the problem with them has always been that uh, you can trigger them while you're, you know, if you jump off the bike and you forget to disconnect it before you pop off the bike that's all of a right it blows up around you and- so it's interesting that you say that because we've spoken a little bit over the last episodes about the new dianacy store here in south seattle and they debuted in august their new airbag vest which has been making the rounds on some of the media outlets we thought we'd talk about it here and one of the unique things about this a is it's ultra slim but b is it doesn't have the rip cord so this is g-force activated so Oh, G-Force Activated. I thought, I thought it was like a phone app. Nope. And so it- my understanding <laughs> is is that this will be G-Force Activated. So if it does uh, initiate a certain threshold for what it thinks would cause an accident. Well, isn't it kind of late by then if you cause the G-Force? Oh, no. If you come off the bike, you're going to have a bunch of G-Forces. Just flying through the air. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. So that's well, the. I don't uh, know how that works because, uh, like, if I'm going down the, the highway of 55 and I get launched off my bike for whatever reason, mm-hmm. aren't I flying through the air at 55? Not, I don't get a G force till I smack the paper. No, when you come off the bike, you're going to get some uh, uh, some acceleration force there. I think. Let's let's get one and push it off my condo. <laughs> And see if it blows up in midway down. You want to like wrap it around a watermelon and see if uh, yeah. see what we can do there. Yeah, we'll do something safe like. Hey, that. I keep talking about Soundriders Mythbusters. I think this is another. Uh, Why don't you just wrap it around a, a watermelon and you put it on the back of your DR three fifty and push it off? You know, as you go down the highway and see if it actually. You know, you'll have to hook up your phone and have it. Yeah, you'll you have to, well, you want to see when it ex- <laughs> when it when it. Uh, Activates? Yeah, what yeah. it activate? You want to see if it activates in the air or when it hits the pavement. So if you see a DR350 with a watermelon wearing Kevlar jeans and a Dionysi airbag vest, <laughs> please yeah. wave and let me know that you listen to the show. There you go. But uh, I thought it was interesting. This new wave of technology, we are starting to see this become a little bit more prevalent. I'm wondering if it's going to take hold because in the past, these were bulky. They were pretty expensive. And as things continue to improve... Um, I'm wondering how attractive this is going to be to new riders. Well, we know that new riders tend to like to be safer, and there sure is a whole lot of nanny stuff coming on the market like this. There is, yes. Um, so I don't know where, where, where. Well, I guess we'll just have to watch the sales numbers. Put it on your Christmas list now. That's right. Well, and you talk about new technology and the sort of nanny aspect of motorcycling. Why don't we look to? the largest motorcycle manufacturer here in the United States with their new system. For now, that's nanny stuff. Right, so tell the us a little Harley bit about Harley-Davidson Group Riding Adaptive Cruise Control System, which is being developed right now for future Harleys. Right, so tell us about this. So this is a, a device that will be on board on the motorcycle that will adjust your speed based on how close you are to the rider or vehicle in front of you, and supposedly it will be able to tell the difference between a car and a motorcycle, 
Wonder wonder if it can tell the difference between a trike and a motorcycle. <laughs> I can't tell the difference between a trike and a car sometimes, but um, so this is going to be this is pulled straight out of I mean the latest technology and like Teslas and even like Nissans and stuff have these now where you'll be driving down the highway and you'll be on cruise control and then all of a sudden you'll look down and you'll be going ten miles below the speed limit because it sensed this car in front of you and it slowed you down. Yeah. Right. So my question is, are they gonna are they gonna uh, build the formula for this thing, the algebra around the MSF one second rule? Because that's baloney if they do, because that that rule doesn't work. You know, that's an interesting. Uh, uh, or will it be adjustable? That's like, a, can I use a phone app and adjust it to like four seconds? Right, or four hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question. I don't know. Uh, I, that I do wonder what the sort of standard is for automobiles and if there is any sort of uh, consistency across brands because I know I've rented quite a few cars for work and that kind of thing in the past where they've had these systems and in particular some of the Nissans that I've driven have been just awful yeah and have you ever had a wild turkey fly out in front of you no, I usually keep the wild turkey in the glove box. It's really spooky. Yeah. So what's going to happen if a wild turkey flies out in front of you and this cruise control's on? Is it just all of a sudden going to want to like drop your throttle completely off, and then the guy behind you is going to hit you? And- well, if you can tell the difference between a <laughs> car and a motorcycle, I think it probably, unless it's a mutant wild turkey the size of a road glide, it can probably sense that, right? It'll feel like a road glide when you hit it. <laughs> well, get your airbag vest on and make sure. What are we going to do for all the people in our group who don't have the adaptive cruise control? Are we going to have to stick them in the back and, and, and pray for them or what? Yeah, I think uh, if you don't have it, you just shouldn't be allowed to ride in groups, right? I think you have, I think it's split the group up. Yeah. If you have the, the nanny system, you go with Group A. If you just have a regular motorcycle, like I prefer, yeah. you just go with Group B. Oh, I thought you were going to say you just sit in the coffee shop and wait for Group A to get <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah, you just wait for <laughs> everybody to get back. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, now I, I just want to preface this next one by saying, uh, anybody thinks that we don't pay attention to Harley-Davidson on this show, let me tell you. Yeah, we've got This a, is like the Harley Davidson. This Davis is the Harley show. edition, yeah. What's coming in 2020, October 2020? Yeah, so I mentioned that I was out riding the live wire <laughs> and I couldn't help with some of the uh, you know, management team and middle management team being out there. I couldn't help but try to pick some brains about the Pan American, which of course is the uh big adventure bike. Um it really made the rounds I guess earlier this year, the pictures and that kind of thing. So yeah. I wanted to know a little bit more about it. What was your initial take just when you saw the photos? Well, what I saw was the, the um, specs on it, and it was something like 100 pounds more than a, than a GS1200. So this is interesting to me because I don't think that they released specs. I thought they did. So I think that this may have been somebody pontificating on the proposed specs, what they thought they were going to come in at. Because I I looked high and low to see if I could find the weight for this thing, and I haven't seen anything released. Okay. So maybe it's out there, but uh, tweet us well, if you know. Here's, here's the quandary. Um, several decades ago, Harley-Davidson had a small business called Buell oh, yeah. Motorcycles. Mm-hmm. And within the Buell system, uh, they built a adventure bike. Right. And 
it was just one more thing that the dealers didn't like because it didn't fit the mold of their customers. Now, we know from our stats that a lot of people that own Harley-Davidson's also happen to own BMWs. Yes. And some of those bikes are GSAs. Yep. So this is not a bad thing for Harley to come with. The problem is going to be getting the staff at the dealership to bite and not just like you know, make jokes about these bikes when they hit the floor. So I, you know, <coughs> I have a, I have a slightly different interpretation. Starting with the whole Buell thing, Buell was a different brand, and I don't think that that was ever fully embraced by the Harley Davidson marketing team as far as getting floor space on the dealerships. You know, it's kind of like now with Indian rolling out in these new dealers. They come in and they go, "Hey, we need our own space. You got to spend this much money. Everything has to be Indian all the time." I don't think Harley made, even though it was an internal brand, I don't think they made those allocations for Buell. And I think that that was part of the thing that was tough on the dealers. What, I wasn't really around in the scene then, but what, what is your take on that analysis? I think the smartest thing that Harley could have done was after one or two years of being slapped in the face by their dealers about trying to sell sport bikes and why we have to try to sell this adventure bike and stuff like that, what they should have done was kept the brand and sold it to other dealerships so that it wouldn't be on the floor at the Harley show. No, I agree with that. Yeah, it should have been down. They should have found it your your metric multi-line dealer, Yeah, and they should have used yeah, it, it should there. have been like a Moto International, or right. nowadays that would be Optimum or whoever. Yep. But. No, I, I agree with that. Um, but going back to the, the fact that this is a Harley-branded um, motorcycle, and also, when did Buell go under? When did they... Has that been a decade? Um... Well, depends on which time you're talking about. Well, that's under, right. But they went under from Harley at the at the end of of like 2008 or nine. Okay, so we're talking that. about at least a decade. Um, I think that there has been obviously the the adventure bike segment continues to grow, and I think that the American cruiser market has lost a few people who have sort of aged out and looked to some of these lighter weight dual sport bikes and that kind of thing to ride. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's going to be a success. I don't feel like it's going to be an issue for Harley to integrate this. And according to the chatter that I am hearing from some of the people in and around Harley-Davidson, A, they are well aware of the BMW's popularity here in the Northwest. Mm -hmm. And they are – I'm getting – and this is all second and third hand, but I'm getting assurances that in particular the GSs, um, they are targeting that – as something that they insist this motorcycle is going to be very competitive with. Well, we we will see. Yeah. But you know, as you're as you're talking to people, ask the people at the dealers how they feel about adding that into their showroom. That'll be interesting information for you to know. Well, I have started that conversation that you mentioned it, and so far the dealers are on board with it, especially here in Washington, because they know how big of a riding segment that yeah, is. Yeah, and you know it's different from when they had Buell because when they had Buell they were just selling Harley's hand over fist. Right now, the, <laughs> the numbers are down yes, a lot. Absolutely. So they, they they need it now. They didn't need it before. That's true. So, anyways, uh, that's happening. Um, okay, let's let's go to the next new bike that's coming out: the Suzuki Katana. It's new. It's old. It's new again. And it has a price tag. It has a price tag of thirteen thousand five hundred dollars. It's going to be a thousand cc bike. It's going to fit that retro classic group, I think. So, 
what's the what is the desire or the appeal to bring this motorcycle back? I think Suzuki's trying to grab onto that retro market. Do, but do you think that there is enough? I mean, I, I guess Katana's well enough known, and I'm a Suzuki fan, obviously, with the DR, but I mean, just several of their other models, I think the V Strom in yeah, particular. Bring back the is, DR350, Suzuki. See, now we're talking, yeah. <laughs> Can we can we get a sixth gear in that DRZ four hundred at least? That would be that would be a good start. But I, you know, this is one of those things. I mean, I, I I'm all for it anytime they want to bring something back. But I didn't really feel like there was a huge demand to uh, reinvigorate this line. But maybe that is just my my narrow perception. Um, I think Suzuki's trying to do anything they can right now. You okay. know, they're losing dealers all over the place, and they're just looking for ways to. Do something different that's going to turn some heads, and this is this is this one is it. Of them. Well, I'm going to take a closer look at it. Do you know when it's supposed to start hitting showroom floors? Because I'd like to go take a demo spin on one of these and just see if I'm missing. anything. I think anything. it's next year, but I don't okay. know for sure. Yeah, so, so but now still... that they announced the price, you know they're going to start taking orders. Makes sense. So, yep, I'll go down there and uh, I'll take the Soundrider credit card and I'll let them know. Now we got another new bike. The Motoguzzi V85. That's right. Speaking of the dual sport market, give us a little news on that. Yeah, so the V85, um, this is obviously the adventure touring model that they brought out. And uh, it just hit showroom floors, I think, finally about five or six weeks ago. But at least over here in Washington at Optimum Performance Motorsports, they have a demo bike that you're able to ride. Although that is uh the clock may be ticking on that because it has been a very good seller i'm told oh okay yeah but they yeah well they can keep their demo though. maybe yeah and they probably yeah. will do that but there were some challenges in getting this uh imported from italy uh they were having a real tough time the factory was keeping up with demand and there was i think a little wiring issue that they had to get hammered out oh okay so they took uh pre-orders many 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 months ago but all reports are that they are way way ahead of schedule of what they expected to sell. Huh. Well, that's good. I'm excited to see that. I'm and when go that happens, and... sometimes that means that they have to go and buy them up from dealers around the country that right. aren't moving them. Like, you know, the Oklahoma Moto Guzzi guy, probably not blowing through them. God, do you think there's a... there's Is there a, uh, an affiliate there, do you think? Oh, there's got to be. All right. Well, Come let's... on, they stole our basketball team. Heck <laughs> yeah. Uh, welcome to Clay Bennett's uh, Moto Guzzi and... <laughs> And Supersonics Emporium. Yeah. We've got uh, discounts on everything. So then, uh, let's see, another news bite. Uh, somebody wants to run a class action lawsuit against BMW because of a defective gear indicator that was never recalled. And apparently, because you have to be told what gear you're in, you could possibly crash if it's incorrect. So, see, all these motorcycles with all this crazy yeah. gobbledygook, I'm telling you, learn how to ride a bike, man. Well, just holding everybody's hands now. They're going to crash. And this uh, story, at least that we linked to from the News Bites uh, section on Soundrider, this is from ADV Rider, and uh, you echo pretty much all the comments there. People are just like, you oh, know. so you now you don't have to go ADV writer to read the article. That's right, <laughs> but you could get it off of uh, off our news bites. <laughs> yeah, if you want to click through, that's always helpful there. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is this is kind of par for the course, though, right? I mean, anytime something yeah. happens, there's a. So uh, you did a or you did a really good um, presentation at the rally in the gorge. Thank you about. Uh, uh, 
stuff to be aware of on the legal side of things when things go wrong. That's right. And uh, one of the things we recently discovered is that if you have an incident with a deer or a coyote or a wild turkey, uh, you don't have much coverage. You don't have you, you don't really have a way to get any coverage from a third party on that. But, however, if you have an incident with a domestic animal, like a dog, a cat, a horse, uh, possibly even a cow that's not in open rangeland, um, you want to be sure that you get a whole, you find out who the owner of that animal is, sure. because you may have recourse through that owner's homeowner's insurance policy or renter's insurance policy. Right, or other means potentially there. But I think mm-hmm. uh, anytime you're involved in an accident, um, you know, it's always a good idea to at least consider getting a police report because you want to have some documentation of that, of what, the, what went down, where it occurred, and um, you know, any reported injuries that may, may have occurred. And the hospital and your vehicle insurance company are going to want to see that report as yes. well. So if you don't get it, they're going to go looking for it. That's right. So... Anyways, and uh, I would mention on that too as well. Uh, a lot of times, people like here in Washington, for instance, uh, personal injury protection insurance is usually somewhere between about ten thousand and thirty-five thousand dollars, and that's no fault insurance. So, like as an example, if you were to lose it in the turn on uh, some gravel, and there's nobody is at fault, you're at fault there. Uh, some of that medical coverage should kick in. Some of that insurance. They are required to offer it here in Washington, but you can opt out of it in writing. And like we talked about on the show last month, you don't get that in a regular insurance policy anymore with most insurance companies. So they're supposed to offer it, right, when you sign up for uh, – yeah, when you sign up for uh, all auto insurance, insurance companies. They're supposed to offer it, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. But that's one of those things It may be that, uh, you know, maybe they send you – I'm not sure exactly the mechanics, but maybe they send you an electronic waiver and you opt out of it, or maybe it's a low amount. But if you're listening and you're not sure if you have it, you should call your insurance carrier and you should say, hey, do I have personal injury protection insurance on at least my motorcycle? Good idea in your car too, um, because you want to know if it's out there. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's a, that's kind of a tip and trick, and we'll have some more tip and tricks at the end of the show. That's right. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, we've got the calendar. Support for SoundRider and the SoundRider Show is made possible by Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in Issaquah, Washington. Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from. Whether you're shopping for a used sport bike, cruiser, dual sport, sport touring, or street standard, you owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. Hey, this is Greg from Olympia, and one of my favorite rides in the Pacific Northwest is the Olympic Loop. It's fantastic. Hi, this is Manny from Manny's Lonchera, located near the awesome Rowena Curves in the beautiful Moisture, Oregon, and you are listening to the Sound Rider Show. back 
in studio on the Sound Rider Show. And of course, we're going to roll into the calendar segment here because September is a pretty active month. There's some good stuff going on, although it's a lot of Sundays here. Can I just say something? Yeah. This show is packed full of information. That's true. My God, you don't have much information we sh- we spiel through here on this show. That's it's amazing. True. We do a lot of uh, R&D to make sure that we're getting people up to date. We're really uh, chock full of nuts, you know? Wow. Yeah. Speak for yourself. <laughs> so let's uh, <laughs> let's launch into the cal- – actually, you know what? I want to make uh, one more mention from the news bites, sort of news bites there. Just wanted to thank uh, a lot of uh, – at the rally, a lot of listeners from the show came up and mentioned – that they learned about the rally through the Soundwriter Show. So thank you for listening, and thank you for attending the rally if you came out. And if you are listening and you know somebody that would like to maybe get in on this train, send them a link. Let them know that they can download and listen. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, lots going on all month. Uh, starting on uh, September 1st, we've got the Seattle Labor Ride and Poker Run happening here in Seattle. Uh, I don't have all the details in front of me. I, I will say, as you're looking them up right yeah, now, let's pull that, up. Um, that everything we're talking about on the calendar, you can access online at soundwriter.com. Just click on calendar. And more details than we're going to spoo out here will be there for you, as well as links to websites and email contacts, telephone numbers, all that stuff. Yeah, and I would just mention on this that the the poker run is to five different union halls, so kind of an interesting take on it. Oh, there you go. Okay. Um, Also on the first, uh, be the the first WSBMWR ride of, well, I guess it's, (laughs) it's the end of summer. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they take the summer off because they're doing their rally and all that. Now they're, now they're getting those rides back in. We talk about it once in a while. Uh, you don't have to have a BMW motorcycle to ride with the group. And so uh, there again, if you want to see what the location is, go to soundrider.com, look it up. They moved the location between the North Sound and the South Sound. So I'm not sure which where they're at this, this month. With an earshot of I-5, though. Always. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's see. And then on uh, September 6th through the 7th, uh, Wimra will be at Pacific Raceways. Uh, if you like going out and watching the racing, remember, this is, these are some of the last races we're talking about here. Uh, we'll, tell you, we'll tell you some more that will come up later in September when we get there. Uh, September 8th, you can go down to the Fauntleroy Ferry Dock. And put your bike on and go over to the Isle of Ashon, TT. That's right, yeah. When was the last time you rode this? Oh, it was a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes it falls on the same weekend as our rally. Oh, no kidding. Because they usually hold it the weekend before Labor Day or the weekend after Labor Day. I gotcha. So, uh, and I know there's people who come to our rally, like Jesse Murphy and the Valentine guys, who like to do the Isle of Ashon. Sure. So it's really nice for them on a year like this, where they can do the rally in the gorge, and then they can make the Isle of Ashon TT as yeah, well. Come on back up and knock it out. And of course, that's September eighth. And you're going to have the Law Tigers van propped up right on the main street there in Ashon. <laughs> Are you don't, bringing the, the the two-headed inflatable tiger? Right? Don't think I will be attending this one. I'm I'm working with some guys to get a uh, two-headed Tom Marin inflatable, but I'm not sure <laughs> I, can, I can quite get the specs to match that. So there'd be some target practice going on with that. <laughs> 
September 14th, Snohomish Parks and Ride. Yes, you heard it right. Parks and Ride. There we go. And so what you're doing is you're, you're going on a poker run, and you're going to five different parks in Snohomish County. So that's happening. Yeah, and it looks like uh, they'll have the radio station on site. There's uh, see free to ride and attend the event, but registration is required. So make sure you check out soundrider.com. Is it pre-registration, calendar. or you can just walk up in the morning? It just says that registration required. Oh, registration required to participate in the raffle. Okay. There you go. Um, then uh- Support for Soundrider and the Soundrider Show is made possible by... Skagit Power Sports. Check out the North Sound's largest selection of bikes from names like Yamaha, Kawasaki, KTM, and Suzuki. Located just off I-5 in Burlington, Skagit Power Sports also features a large selection of riding gear, apparel, and an experienced staff to help you along the way. Visit Skagit Power Sports today. Hi, my name is Aaron, and uh, you know, I mostly like riding the roads around Washington, all the logging roads and little two-track dirt stuff, and just to explore and to be able to check out the world that we live in. Pretty much ride like GS kind of stuff, sidecars and 650s, so it's all a good time. Hi, this is Basilio Bagnato from Back Row Map Books in Coquitlam, B.C., and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. This is our uh, sort of the interview section of the show. Sometimes we have special guests. Sometimes we're the special guests. I would agree with that. And I think today we are the special guest. So uh, i got two topics that we're going to be talking about. And the first one is uh, we're going to do a little tool talking because uh, Derek did a really nice presentation at the Rally in oh, the Gorge. You. And he's been building up a site all about kind of crafting up the ultimate toolkit for your right. motorcycle. So uh, go ahead and tell us what's going on. Yeah, definitely. So I know we kind of highlighted this a little bit last month, but the project is called Washington Wrenches, and you can visit it at WashingtonWrenches.com. And the whole focus of the uh, project is to interview motorcycle mechanics and personalities, as it may be, here in Washington State to see what they carry with them in their on-road toolkit. So ideally, once this is all complete, I'll have somewhere between 10 and 12 short interviews that you can watch at the site. And there's also an ebook that is being compiled where you can download some tips and tricks plus the actual itemized toolkit checklist oh, from nice. each of these people. So there is a version one that is ready for download right now. It's about uh, 15 pages, and that's a free download. Just name an email address, and you're good to go there. But it has been a very illuminating experience thus far. <laughs> Are you shining now from it? Well, I tell you, it has uh, highlighted um, a couple of things as you just talk to people about you know potentially participating and doing the interviews. And, you know, pretty much everybody carries the basics. You know, you've got the wrenches and that kind of stuff. And a lot of times, you know, you talk about, um, you know, what do you bring in your toolkit or tips for putting together the toolkit. 
and people always say the basic stuff like, well, work on your bike with your travel toolkit to make sure you've got everything that you need. Mm-hmm. And that's all good. But the one thing that I'm really taking away from this, especially interviewing the mechanics, is that they don't really bring parts. No. You know? Because and, if you do it right, you shouldn't really need to. Well, that's right. Not only if you do it right, you really shouldn't need to, but also they understand how their motorcycles work. So they're not just throwing things into sort of the black box in hopes of, oh, well, if this goes wrong or that goes wrong, uh, you know, I'll have this part to replace it. And I think that was the one thing that has stood out to me thus far is, especially for new riders, people often talk about, well, if this goes wrong, how do I fix it? If that goes wrong, how do I fix it? But the question you really should be asking is, how does it work? Because that gives you much more opportunity to get creative out there on the road. Hmm. Yeah, and I highlighted that, in fact, when I talked about it at the Rally in the Gorge with a suggestion that you made a couple of months ago where you repaired your broken clutch lever with a piece of tent pole repair, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things is like a lot of people will say, well, I'm going to carry a spare clutch lever because I ride in the dirt. Well, maybe you don't need to do that. Maybe you just need to get a little creative because that, the reality is if you can get it back to town – Parts and stuff, they're pretty much everywhere. If you've got a little bit of time, you can get stuff. You can track stuff down. So trying to maintain that sort of ethos of traveling light, I think the key to that is to ask, how does it work, not how do I fix it necessarily. And we were talking about why you don't need to carry extra parts. And I said if, if, you, if you planned it out ahead of time, something like a clutch cable, yeah, something like a throttle cable. Um, you know, I had a bike. It was It was – I'd already lost a clutch cable on it. Sure. I should have replaced that, but I never really did the homework to figure out, you know, what's kind of the life expectancy of that. Yeah. And it made it about 45,000 miles. Pretty good. I should have probably replaced that at 40. Right. And uh, I no longer have that bike, but I took it to 60,000 on the original throttle cable. I should have been replacing that. Definitely. So, um, and, you know, it's not always easy. You can't always go buy the part from the OEM. You may have to have one custom made. That is true. And there's ways to do that. And some of these, some of these Washington wrenches that you're talking to mm-hmm. know where to go to get the clutch, to get the cables made, to get the, uh, if it's a hydraulic system, they know where to go to get that done. So uh, they're, they're, they're you know, just Incredible resources of information for stuff like that. There is a lot of stuff out there. And I would add just one of my personal things, too, is now that because you can get your owner's manual in digital format for pretty much any bike, Mm -hmm. uh, that's pretty easy just to download that to your phone so that you always have that with you because you can learn a lot on the side of the road there. Um, Another thing that comes up, and this is very important, obviously, but I really do think for new riders, again, it is one of the barriers to travel – and that is tires and air. And pretty much everybody talks about having tire repair. Pretty much everybody talks about, you know, can you handle a flat? Because really that's one thing that will knock you out pretty quick Yep. if you can't handle that. But for new riders and even some experienced riders um, in certain demographics who just never deal with that kind of stuff. I tell you, you know, I see more people carrying air and yeah. patch kits now. Um, but boy, we sure didn't used to back right. in uh, you know back when we started this magazine. Hardly anybody had air on board. They, they might have had the, the CO two things that don't really do a good job. 
But uh, I never saw anybody with a pump other than than one guy, and that was a friend of ours, Herb Gadrow. Sure. And he he saved somebody one day out on the Olympic Peninsula when he popped a seat off, and here was that little tiny pump. He's the only guy I ever saw carrying one. Yeah. I started carrying one after that, and then we started selling them, and 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 it's more it's a more common item that I see now. But I still bump into people all the time that don't have any air on board. Right. So pumps have actually been thus far in my experience have been fairly rare. The CO2 coverages have uh, cartridges have kind of reigned supreme for a lot of these guys. But like you mentioned, you carry that pump and we've talked a little bit about it. I hope that we'll have the chance to uh, to interview you a little bit and of course we will see an air pump. Is there anything else? Maybe we'll tease it a little bit, but what's sort of one thing that you include in your toolkit that you think is necessary but that many people don't carry with them well i think what you know i am going to do a segment with you and when we do it um, maybe what you want to do is see what i go beyond with my fix-it stuff that i carry like goop i carry uh um what's the liquid weld product oh jb weld jb weld yep uh, zip ties. Yeah. Zip ties are probably the number one thing that gets mentioned by people. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and you know, the way I build my toolkit up is I say, what would I need for a level one or a level two service? Right. And then I'll go through the bike and see what I need because a lot of bikes don't come with toolkits. That's right. So you got to build your own toolkit now. And then um, some bikes ha- are kind of finicky, and you can't really reach a bolt unless you have, like, a flexible adapter on the end of a socket. So that might be something you're going to be adding in. Um, I didn't have a lot of uh, little quarter-inch wrenches and had to build some of those up for one of my bikes so that I could get some some parts off that otherwise I couldn't really get them off very easily. Well, and that's another thing that comes up and was really highlighted by Mark down at uh, Valentine Motorworks is saying just uh, panel removal because uh-huh. you got to have access. That's like the number – that was his sort of number one tip was yeah. particularly on the BMWs. Like you can't even get started unless you bring the right Torx bits to that's get right. the housing off right. and the body off. Right. So, and, uh, and, and, yeah, when you're talking about BMWs, you're talking about that, that front axle has a, a tricky little hex nut in it. Right. you got to have that on board. you got to get that wheel off. you got to have that on board. If, you didn't, if it's not in your toolkit, make sure you get one. Well, so interest, interestingly, Mark said uh, he does not bring any wheel removal kits, any real wheel removal tools. I personally don't like to remove my wheel, but uh, when you're dealing with an inner tube that's just too far gone. Well, so that's the second half of the equation. He runs tubeless tires. Yeah, I don't. Yep. So, so. For, But for Mark, and that's noted in the, in the ebook as well, is that because he runs tubeless tires, he doesn't bring any wheel removal tools. And so far, he's probably the most experienced rider slash mechanic that I've interviewed, and his kit's the smallest, which I think is you know, is, is kind of an interesting note as well because mm-hmm. he obviously knows his way around both the riding environment and the fixing environment. So I thought it was pretty cool to see inside. Yeah, yeah. And, no, you know, uh, on the dual sport bikes, I know there's people, they say, well, I've got a kit so you can turn that wheel into a tubeless tire system. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know what? I don't want to cross my fingers and hope that works out on my dual sport so trip, do you but don't I, have it fail you bring a obviously the tire repair kit you've got a patch kit for twos but do you ever bring a spare tube with you yes you do absolutely yeah front and rear 
front and rear, really. Yeah, when I'm out on Saturday, yeah, because the front's 21. Yeah, the well, rear's yeah. 17, and everybody says you can put a 21 back into 17 and get to town. Right. Well, yes, you can. But, uh, you know, when I do like Sasquatch, I'm out there with other people. Sure. And there's always the guy who doesn't have a tube. And I, I did, uh, I did the OBDR one year with, a, with, uh, two other riders and two guys in Jeeps. And, uh, both those riders ate through my spare tubes. <laughs> Cause they didn't have any. And so. To the highest bidder in that scenario. And then at that point, I said, goodbye, guys, because I don't have any more spares, and I'm not going to keep going through the woods like this. That's so. right. And the last thing I'll mention on this, and again, you can see all this at WashingtonWrenches.com if you want to check it out. Um, a lot of these guys start with a cruise tool kit, and I was kind of yep. looking at their lineup, and I was like, man, these are really good kits. Oh, They've really got a lot good, of good stuff. Really good product. And so a little shout-out to them being now a Seattle-based company. But uh, I thought that was kind of a, an interesting tell as well. So follow along with it. And like I said, hopefully by the time this all wraps up in the next couple of months, we'll have like 12 interviews and like 30 pages in the ebook and you'll be able to get that all as a free resource. Well, I think what you should do is uh, send me over 500 to 1,000 words from the ebook. Yeah. And then we'll put that up on SoundWriter and you can officially be the editor at large. Look out. Back, and, in, back in business, baby. <laughs> and then we'll direct people over to the Washington Wrenches It'd to be read very the whole cool. ebook. Yeah, definitely. So, But now right. we're talking about toolkits. Let's talk about about where we'd use those out on fall touring trips. Yeah, yeah. Let's because you may need it, but um, yeah, I don't know where are you where are you thinking of going for fall? You know, so it didn't really work out last year, but I was trying to do a loop around Bainbridge Island, right? Uh-huh. No, or did I do Bainbridge? I think you did Bainbridge. I did Bainbridge. I was going to try to do a loop around maybe Vashon. Maybe it was Vashon Isle. Yeah, I can't remember. I'm going to try to do that. I'm also, I want to squeeze in a nice dual sport trip before September closes out. So I'm looking at maybe doing a section of like the Washington BDR. And then uh, once October rolls around, going to be closer to home, you know, probably just day trips and that kind of thing. But uh, how about you? What do you got on the menu? Well, I've been up in the Cascades in October, yeah. the first couple of weeks of October, and it's awesome. It's a little cool, but if you, you know, we, sometimes we have a little Indian summer kick in, That's so right. there's not a lot of clouds, and because it's cooler, you're more comfortable when you're riding. And not, not as many people up there, but I've had some really nice rides in the Cascades in the fall. <coughs> if I was going to be riding this fall, I would... Um, Grab a copy of my Vancouver Island trip and go oh. and do that on the motorcycle. Yeah, very nice. Because when I pre-rode that last year, um, I had an Indian summer week. Perfect timing, there. yeah. It was beautiful weather and uh, just great stuff. And, you know, we sorted out what works and what doesn't work for touring on Vancouver Island. So uh, that's there. Uh, of course, I always like to do a trip with a theme, like a hydrotherapy tour. And this is a great time of year to do that, of course. Yeah, yeah. Because you do start to see uh, some cooler temperatures at night, even if you do get that Indian summer. So that's something that you always want to mm-hmm. be cognizant of if you're going to be camping. Oh, yeah. If you're going to be camping, get your, get the get the warmer bag out. Right. Don't go out with a summer bag. Get the heavy-duty stuff. Um we had, uh, you know, I like to do the McMinimums. Of course, yeah. And um, so we stayed at the one down in Kalama uh, a week ago. And the, uh, you know, it's, it's all a new building, 
But uh, somehow uh, a ghost got in there and took my shirt and my cell phone for a couple hours Uh-oh. until we finally called the cell phone and found out where it had slipped behind something. That There's no way that I could have done that. It had to be a ghost. This is our Sasquatch. And that's a two, new yeah. building, so I think there's ghosts hanging around from the old stuff Something that was happening. there. Uh-oh. Um, there are secret rooms at the Kalama location. So when you go, uh, talk to a staff person, say, tell me where the secret rooms are. Yeah. And they will tell you. Um, but, you know, that's, that's a fun thing, too. You can always do a little tour and just do McMinimums along the way. Uh, they're out on the coast of Oregon. They're on the interior of Oregon. They're all around Portland. They've got them in Washington now. Right. So uh, that's that's an idea for you. Yeah, and maybe you could even stitch together. I know one of your other ideas that always comes up is uh, an aviation museum tour. Yeah. Right? And you could do that during the day and then McMinimins at night. And even if it's chilly out, you'd have a, a pretty good time out there. Yeah, and you know another thing I'll say about fall touring is uh, if you've been out iron button, you know, 500-mile days, and well, take it easy. Go do 150 miles and get to your next place and sit in a hot pool. Go to an air yeah. museum. Don't. Don't ride your buns off every no. time you go ride. Relax. Yeah, there's always the Starbucks to Starbucks tour, too. <laughs> yeah, there's there's too many Dutch Brothers coffees That's right. that you don't want to miss out yeah. on. Yeah, take, take a load off for sure. So, How about, let's, uh, I know we're running a little long on this segment, but any, uh, any things to watch out for? I always like to remind people of sort of the leaves um, as those start to land on some of these twisty sections where they get a little wet. Um, those can be pretty slick out there. Um, also for shaded corners, right? You can start to see some frost in the early morning and that kind of thing. Anything else you think we should let the listeners know about here in the fall? Hunters. Oh yeah. Hunters, especially if you're a dual sport guy, uh, you are probably going to run into people in the woods who are walking around with bows and arrows, muskets. Uh, and then the later it gets into the season, the, the, the other artillery comes out, but it starts with bows and arrows. It goes to muskets. So, uh, you know, make sure you wear your orange, your tropical yeah. frog orange That's vest. a good suggestion. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> bazooka season starts in December, if I remember correctly. So, <laughs> um, Obviously, you, know, you mentioned it, the weather. Um, you know, we're, it is going to be pretty all the time. And so use your phone apps and watch your weather and check it ahead of time. Uh, because what could start off to be a perfectly wonderful morning could turn into one hell of an afternoon. Yeah. So, all right. I'm going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have some tips and tricks. Support for the Soundwriters Show is provided in part by Rock Straps. Tired of bungee cords that fray and break? You need to up your game with the number one tie down among riders. Rock Straps make it easy to get the right fit, no matter how large or small the load you're securing. Order a pair today from the Soundwriter store at store.soundwriter.com. Yeah, I'm Tech Steer from uh, Wenatchee, Washington. One of my favorite rides is uh, from the Columbia River up through the Klickitat Gorge to BZ Corner and on into Glenwood. Yippee Rip City. Hi there, this is Steve Stewart with Pacific Northwest Motorcycle Safety, and you're listening to The Soundwriter Show. <laughs> Hey, 
Well, no faulty gear indicators here as we downshift into this outro segment. And of course, that means tips and tricks. We've got a couple of good ones as we head into fall. Tom, where do you want to start things off? you want to launch into it or should I get going here? I want to... I'll do it first. Um, I want to teach our listeners how to teach other future drivers to spot motorcycles. Oh, yeah. Because everybody says, oh, you got to watch out for motorcycles. So... This is the way to get them started. You start them young. You know, you, you like to play those games in the car when you're a kid, you know. Like, you got to count the license plates. And, and, you know, the first one, pr- kid that gets Maine, he gets Maine. And right. You're, you're trying to get all the 50 states, and you're having a little competition. Sure. You got the kids looking around. That's good. Now what you want to do is uh, create a game where they have to spot motorcycles. Right. And maybe it's, you know, a black motorcycle. Who got the red motorcycle? Who got the gold motorcycle or whatever? Yeah, definitely. So who got the motorcycle with the group, adaptive group riding cruise (laughs) control? I don't know. Why are all those motorcycles one second apart perfectly? Well, they've got the group. When you do that. You get the you get the eyes moving and you get that activity going and it's it's a good thing and it makes yes. them look farther ahead because they want to win so they want to be the first one to see it so they're, they're now they're learning how to look far ahead. Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea and uh, I think that's something that's starting to become a little bit m- more and more popular at least amongst motorcycle riding families. They're trying to get the word out like that and yeah, hopefully if we can, can encourage people to do that. Over the next few years, you know, the numbers will start to decline as far as people getting injured in motorcycle yeah. accidents. Maybe we'll make a few riders out of it. Who knows? Yeah, I'd love that uh, to happen both directions there. That would be great. Well, what do you got? So, we've been out. It's been a busy summer. We've been riding with a lot of people. We've been doing a lot of events. And I've been thinking that, uh, you know what? There are a lot of good riders out there. Mm-hmm. And I would like to up, up my riding game as well. So my tip for this month as we head into fall is to put in a little scouting work to find yourself a good practice area because as temperatures drop, you may not have the gumption to go out on a half-day tour, but maybe you've got a nice little practice area that you can get to in 45 minutes or so, especially if you're a dual sport guy or gal, and you can get out there and you can just work on going up hills, work on your braking, Take a buddy out, just have a little bit of fun, maybe put some competitions together, and I think that that would be a great way to come back stronger in the spring. So, Would this be a public road or this would be a closed area? Well, I think you should avoid the public road. Uh, but if you can find, particularly if you're looking at dirt, you know, a lot of uh, campgrounds and that kind of stuff in state forests, they become vacated. There's not many people camping in the middle of fall, but you might be able to go out there and kind of rat around on some of the little trails there. And if you do have a nice uh, public road that's a two-lane highway, don't work on anything that would put you in potential danger. So don't work on like your quick stops or anything where someone might come around the corner and, and ping you. But maybe you do work on your leaning a little bit, your cornering a little bit, picking that line. But staying fresh throughout the winter time because a lot of times once people get back into riding after a layoff, that's when a lot of those single vehicle accidents happen. So. Get out there and uh, do some practice. Well, you got my vote to use the public roadways. Yeah. Because I don't think uh, if you go to some campground or something, you can't really work on uh, a lot of vision things. 
um, whereas on a public roadway you can. And it, and I, and actually, I think it's perfectly fine to do a quick stop out on a public roadway, but I wouldn't be doing it in a corner. Um, I knew a, a couple of guys, they rode gold wings, and, and they loved to go up and do Chuckanut Drive. Sure. And they said what they always did at the end of uh, – they, they'd go from north to south, and then there's a long straightaway there. And as 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 they came onto that straightaway, if they could not see a car in front or behind them, they would work on their quick stops. Sure, but yes. not in a corner. But the important, yeah, the important thing is there. Don't do anything that would potentially put you in harm's way if you are in a public right. roadway. Right. And, and I will say, I'm gonna I'm gonna defend my idea of practicing in like a campground or that kind of thing. Because, for instance, out in the Gifford Pinchot. They've got some pretty good-sized campgrounds, and you're right. You may not be able to work on vision, but you can do a lot of things out there on the dirt. Like, for instance, if you are working on your quick stops, you can get familiar with sliding that back wheel a little bit. You can get familiar with what it takes to, uh, for instance, climb up a hill, do a little bit of that clutch management. So I would encourage people to do that if they want to be better riders because that's a a pretty safe area to do that. Well, and I'll go back to – I'll be with you on that to some degree. I'll go back to our friend Gary Anderson who says if you can't ride a motorcycle slow, you sure can't ride one fast. And he does like to go to closed spaces like that and work on his tight – You know, his slow slow turns. Yep. So, so uh, you know, if if anybody's out camping this fall and you see a whole bunch of tire tracks and skid marks, Derek's probably been there. I've been there. <laughs> look, look for the giant tiger head. All right, folks, that's our September show. We'll be back with an October show, probably on October 1st. But uh, until then, uh, ride safe, ride well, ride often. And we'll see you next month on we'll the Sound Rider Show. Month. The Sound Rider Show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved, which is not to say we're doctors. Reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner. But please be sure to share the link with all your Facebook friends. This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on the Sound Rider Show.